Welcome to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, where PGA and LPGA players, legends, and the top instructors in the game share their insights and playing lessons. Join Chris every Tuesday night as he talks with the greats of the game. Tonight's show is sponsored by the French Lick Resort, the PGA Tour Superstore, the Bobby Jones Apparel Company, Ben Hogan Golf, Two Under, Taylor Made Golf, and Golf Pride. Now, here's your host, Chris Mascaro. Hey, good evening, folks, and welcome to Next on the Tee. It's great having you back with me tonight. It's going to be a special night here on the show because not only do I have three great guests that I'm looking forward to sharing with you, but I also have my co-host from our show on the football side, Thursday Night Tailgate, with me, and that's Mr. Bob Lazari. Bob, how are you, my friend? It's been a little hey. while since we had some time together. Uh, it's like riding a bike, as you know, my friend. We... uh we do so many football shows. It's been a few months, but it's great to hear your voice again. Ah, same here, my friend. How's uh, how's life up in Connecticut? That whole region of the country has been been hit pretty hard. You got people up there doing the right thing. Everyone wearing a mask. Because uh, down here in Georgia, not so much. Same here, Chris. You got people going against the flow, and, and it usually comes back to, of course, bite the people that are following the rules and um. Just taking it a day at a time. You know, they're slowly trying to open up some things. I think people get a little too daring at times. You know, if you look at the beaches, if you look at crowds of people <clears throat> that are just uh, not following the rules. And, and this is what they're really concerned with about the uh, the generation of people, I guess, that just don't think uh, health effects uh, apply to them. And, and that's going to be a problem. But a uh, beautiful day here. As usual, no springtime in Connecticut. We went from winter pretty much to summer, you know, 80 degrees now. Uh, it's probably 35 last week at night. So that's where we are at. But uh, <laughs> beautiful day today, Chris. I'm, I'm, I'm still celebrating. When you get an 80-degree day, sunshine all day long, low humidity, that's Hawaii weather in Connecticut. I could count three or four days a year that happens. <laughs> well, good for you. Um Typically, this time of year, when you when you cross over and you come back and uh, and you're a part of the golf show, uh, we're looking ahead to the Travelers Championship. So we've got that coming up next week, and uh, we've got Nathan Groob, the tournament director, going to join us. We'll talk more about that in a second. But um, uh, no fans at the tournament this past weekend. No fans this week. It looks like no fans next week at the Travelers. And uh, as you and I were talking off air, maybe not media as well. What's what's going on with the tournament? Yeah, as I was telling you, Chris, uh, this is my event every year. You know, when you look forward to, because it's usually held uh, at a time when the weather is going to be the best you're going to get in New England. So we do look forward to this, and we've been lucky the last few years. And uh, it's 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 just a, it's such a, an event here in Connecticut again. And, uh, you know, I looked into my normal, I've been doing this 21 years, and, and looked into my normal credential uh, requesting about a month ago. And uh, Tracy Veal, who's the manager of media relations for the PGA Tour, she's been in contact with me, and she sent me the last email. She told me, Bob, here it is. She says, the PGA Tour has recently completed development of return to golf health and a safety plan, which significantly significantly limits any media on site at our tournament 
uh, and other groups, family members, agents, you name it. And uh, so uh, we're just working on those tiny few who will, will be permitted on the site. So uh, she's very apologetic. She probably emailed me three times to try to upmate, up, update me to make sure it wasn't going to happen in Hartford, and that's not happening this year. So it's it's brutal to people like myself who so totally enjoy it. And actually, when that tournament ends each year, Chris, I, the day it ends, I look forward to the next one. So right now, and we'll probably talk with this about Nathan, uh, I'm already looking forward to 2021, as strange as it sounds, because it's that good of a tournament. And to that end, Bob, I mean, and like like you say, well, there's a lot to get into with Nathan around the tournament. So really looking forward to hearing his perspective. But um, you know, like we say, no fans. We saw no fans at this this past weekend from a, a pure spectator, fan of the sport sort of thing. What did you think about um, not seeing any of the fans or getting any of the roars or that sort of thing in the tournament this past weekend? Well, we got a kind of a, a preview of that a few weeks ago, Chris, at the at the celebrity tournament with Mickelson and Woods a little bit. I was watching a lot of that, you know, just starved for some kind of sports. I think a lot of people are watching it just that, that for no other reason. But you got a little bit of how it would be. And, uh, you know, golf crowds, you know this better than anyone. Golf crowds and the, and the, the throngs of people on the 18th green and everything, that's what makes tournaments and the roars you hear from three holes across the, uh, the fairways and, and things like that. That's just what really makes the game. And as far as when we're talking Hartford here, uh, the PC in Cromwell, the crowds, Chris, are, have been such, so instrumental to this tournament for years. You remember the Jordan Spieth magic of a few years ago. I've never heard noise like that in my life. Uh, and, and that's just going to be missing. So a lot of the, if we see things, we'll be watching closely on TV, of course, but we're going to see things and, and we may see remarkable things done that are just going to go under the radar screen. And uh, golf crowds mean a lot. And it, this is all, again, unprecedented territory, and uh, but not un, not comfortable at all for golf fans. Yeah, and, that, and that's the other thing I wanted to ask you, because uh, as you've talked about on this show for uh, the last few years, when uh, when Speed holds that shot from the bunker on 18 to, to beat Daniel Berger in a playoff, as you just said, you, that's the loudest crowd you had ever heard. And and to now think that that's, uh, it's sort of going to all be quiet, um, boy, that's just got to seem odd to you. And it's odd to me watching it this past weekend. Yeah, without and without that kind of buzz in the crowd, and that goes kind of for every sport. If you have a, a badly attended baseball game, you just don't get that buzz through the stadium. And uh, same thing with a golf tournament, Chris. I mean, these guys, if it was down to a, a final sudden death thing and you just walk down to the course, you wouldn't feel any of that. You'd have to know exactly what the score is, and you'd have to be following these guys. Again, um, I'm sure they're going to do a great job on TV. And, uh, you know, keeping it as real as they can. But if you're uh, used to watching this like I am live, at least part of it, uh, for these four days in June, uh, it's, it's going to be very, it's a very, it's a very sad time, to tell you the truth. All right, let's get on to tonight's show. Before we talk about tonight's lineup, I want to give a shout out to our new sponsor, the McLemore, which is a beautiful community resort and golf course up on the side of Lookout Mountain, just 35 minutes outside of Chattanooga, Tennessee. And folks, you've just got to see this place to believe it. Go online to themaclemore.com. 
to see for yourself what a spectacular place it is. The golf course is co-designed by our good friends Bill Bergen and Reese Jones. Our friend Kip Henley said on Twitter a few weeks ago that outside of Pebble Beach, it's the most beautiful 18th hole he's ever seen. See why he says that by checking out the course in the resort online at themacklemore.com. And tonight, Bob and I have got an amazing list of guests that we're looking forward to sharing with you, leading off with a great friend of the show, Dr. Bob Jones the fourth. Doc is the grandson of Bobby Jones. He's a sports psychologist here just outside of Atlanta. Tonight, we're going to talk to Doc about confidence and how to keep it. Bob, remember, you know, it was his grandfather that said golf is a game that is played on the five-inch course, the distance between your ears. And I want to talk to Doc about how can we do a better job of that, particularly when things start to head south for us out on the golf course. How do, how do we bring it back? How do we maintain that confidence? How do we not get down on ourselves, whether it's we've played a, a bad hole or two or a bad few rounds for, for some of the guys out on the PGA Tour? But, Bob, it's always a privilege to get to spend some time with Doc. Oh, I uh, I, I'm just excited to speak with him for the first time, Chris. You know, having admired his grandfather—that's an understatement. It's one of his—I think it goes under the radar screen that his his grandfather was one of the most incredible, uh, influential sports figures of the century, the 20th century. I mean, when you think about the 20s, you think about Babe Ruth, Jack Dempsey, and he's right there. And, and people—I think that goes under the radar screen. But a fascinating family if you do a lot of. Search on him, which I did this week, uh, just to to know uh, how intelligent these guys were and how much they were far ahead of their time. So this is going to be exciting for me. Yeah, very much looking forward to having Doc. He'll join us in just a few moments. Following him, we'll get a return visit from Nathan Grubb. You heard us talk about Nathan a, a few moments ago, the tournament director at the Travelers Championship, which is going to be played next week up in Cromwell, Connecticut. Bob, we've talked to Nathan for the last few years. Thanks to you bringing him uh, as a part of the show. And they put on such a great tournament and, you know, and how they, how they take care of the players. And it's typically played the week after the U.S. Open. And, and most players after a major, you know, the mental and the physical grind that goes along with playing in a major, you know, those guys typically take at least one week off, sometimes two or three uh, in between those majors. But, uh, but not this tournament. The guys love going up there because of all the extra things that Nathan and his team do for them. Uh, but like we've been saying, you know, since the start of the show, it's going to be a different year. I'm looking forward to hearing Nathan's insights about just how different it's going to be. Uh, exactly, Chris. Uh, he does a remarkable job. He's been doing this. This is his 15th year. Uh, he's done a remarkable job getting guys here under tougher circumstances. Now, this year, uh, with the, again, the unprecedented pandemic stuff going on uh, i'm sure his job took on a whole different uh level this year because it's more about the players and not the fans anymore I'm, of course he's already looking forward to next year and he's always got uh his mind on things way ahead but uh, this year's preparation has been like none other and, and i'm sure he'll uh, bring that out Following Nathan, uh, we'll round out tonight's show with a visit from LPGA Class A teaching professional and the director of instruction up at Bethpage State Park in New York, and that's going to be Megan Youngman. Bob, I'm I'm really excited to talk to Megan about her experiences there at Bethpage and and just how difficult the black course is, right? You know, you guys have all probably seen you know that famous sign that's outside the course that says the black course is an extremely uh, black course is an extremely difficult course, which we recommend only for highly skilled golfers. 
So I'm anxious to hear her stories about, you know, how some of the, you know, the typical weekend hackers like me, you know, we, we think we, ah, we can go out there and play the black course. No problem. I want to hear some of those stories and what, you know, guys walk off that course with. I imagine if I tried to play that golf course and I'm tipping, I'm about a 12 handicap. I, I shoot somewhere between 80 and 85. I think I'm walking off there at 110 or so probably feel like I went, you know, 18 holes with Mike Tyson beating the heck out of me the whole time. So I'm looking forward to getting her, her, uh, her stories from that. I'm sure there's a yeah, bunch of maybe, funny ones, Bob. I was just going to say, maybe you're better off just staying put where you are, Chris, and just keep hacking down that way. <laughs> and, uh, but I have to respect Megan because, you know, I was just browsing a website this past few days. And uh, I know she's a smart girl because she spends uh, the, the lousy time of the year weather-wise in Florida and the, the better part up here. So she knows exactly what to do. I wish I could do the same thing, but uh, that's going to be exciting, Chris. Uh, I, the amount of lessons she's given and uh, how many people she's worked with and everything. It'll be a pleasure to speak with her. Indeed. She'll join us about 45 minutes from now. So there you have it, folks. More great stories, tips, and information coming your way tonight on this edition of Next on the T. And as always, thank you so much for tuning in and taking the journey with us tonight. Always like to start out by saying hello and thank you to my friends, Mitch and Matthew Lawrence. Want to remind you about their great golf shows. Please check out Mitch's podcast. It's called Talking Golf Getaways, which you can stream online at golftripx.com. It's also available on Audio Boom, Stitcher, and Player.fm. Mitch and his co-host, Aaron Bunch, are going to take you around the U.S. and Canada to some of the great places that you can go stay and play. They also let you know about some of the hidden gem courses that you might not be aware of. Again, go online. The, the uh, show is available as a podcast on GolfTripX.com. Matthew's show is fantastic. It's called Backspin Golf. It's my regular Sunday morning, 8.03 a.m. Eastern Tea Time. You can stream the show live by going online to WLXG.com or downloading the WLXG app. Features our good friend Perry French in the first segment every week, so you know you're going to get a lot of great tips and content right there at the top of the show. Matthew has a lot of other great guests every week, and he's a wonderful friend and a great host. Check it out. Backspin Golf on ESPN Radio, WLXG in Lexington, Kentucky. Stream it online at WLXG.com. And folks, this segment of the show is brought to you by our friends over at TaylorMade and the TaylorMade TP5 and TP5X golf balls played by Ricky Fowler, John Rahm, Rory McIlroy, Dustin Johnson, and Jason Day. It's the hottest tour ball in golf. You know those names, but thousands of other golfers have already made the switch to TP5 and TP5X. And now both TP5 and TP5X are available in high visibility yellow, and I love the yellow golf ball. It's time for you to make the switch. Check it out online by going to TaylorMadeGolf.com for more information. All right, now back in making his seventh appearance with us here on Next on the T is Dr. Bob Jones IV. And as you all know, Doc is the grandson of Bobby Jones. He was born and raised in Pittsfield, Massachusetts, which is located in the very western part of the state near the New York state line. Now lives northeast of Atlanta here. Doc has a bachelor's degree in English literature, a master's in divinity, and a doctorate in clinical psychology. And he's now working as a sports psychologist. Doc is one of those people who makes everything and everyone he comes in contact with better. And that includes this show as well, I have to tell you, because, you know, Doc has been wonderful and very generous with his time over the years. And every single time he comes on, I walk away from our conversation feeling a heck of a lot better. And I'm very excited he is back with us again tonight here on Next on the T. Hey, Doc, Chris and Bob here. Thanks for coming back tonight. Hi, Doc. 
Hey, guys, it's great to be with you. And, Bob, it's nice to virtually meet you. Oh, same to you, Bob. And I hope I don't deviate from your normal conversation about sports psychology. But uh, being the first time I've spoken with you, I probably want to pick your mind about your grandfather a bit. Oh, not a problem. Not a problem. Glad to do it. So, Doc, let's start off with a couple of easy softballs. I mean, you know, life here under right. quarantine has been a challenge here in in Atlanta and in Georgia and across the country. I'm I'm curious to get your thoughts. How how are you and the folks around you ha- handling life in quarantine? Um, actually, it's been uh, it's been pretty good. You know, for the last uh, for the last uh, oh, I guess six weeks or so in Georgia, we've had it kind of loosening up for us, which has been a good thing. But um, I've been doing a lot of my my work uh, by telehealth for years. So for me, this was just a very easy switch. And um, the interesting thing is that I have found that most of my clients have handled this very, very well. Um, I've been very pleased with how they've handled it. The athletes that I work with, I think they've had a bit of a tougher time with it because you know, it's it's uh, even though golf courses really never did close, although se- several of them chose to, uh, the fact that they weren't able to get the level of competition that they were used to having, I think, was difficult for them. But now that tournaments are starting up again, they're getting back into their rhythms, and I think things are going pretty well. Yeah, I was curious, Doc, because um, several of the of the players, particularly some of the teaching professionals, you know, and they're the folks that that I felt uh, really badly for, because oh, yeah. you know, with nobody on practice tees, with with uh, limited to to no golf, the teaching professionals have had nobody to teach, and they're essentially independent contractors. So if there's nobody to teach, there's no revenue coming in, and and uh, I was I, I would have guessed that you would have heard from some folks, and that have been a uh, a pretty stressful time, not knowing you know, when the next opportunity to get back out and teach people was going to be. You know, I think that's right. And and I really feel sorry for a lot of them. Now, you know, we were very fortunate uh, down at the Bobby Jones golf course that um, they were, um, they stayed pretty active even through most of it. I mean, you have to be careful to do social distancing. Um, and then I've also noticed that there are some other teaching professionals who have really stepped up into offering uh, more uh, video technology and video lessons Mm -hmm. where basically you just become an online subscriber to them and and you send them a video of your swing and they analyze it and send you some recommendations back. So I I think like everything else, this has sort of forced people to rethink uh, how they do things. to putting it this way, it's kind of like this. When you're going along on a fairly decent round and all of a sudden you get a double and then a bogey, you kind of have to retool a little bit get your uh, and keep your wits about you and make whatever changes you can to accommodate the different circumstances. And I think, uh, I think that a lot of a lot of, there have been a good number of golf professionals who have been able to do that. Some that got, got caught flat-footed, uh, but you know it's it's just been a, it's just been a hard time. And I and I think the key 
is uh, just kind of keeping your wits about you and making the best of it that you can. It's interesting you bring up that that point about a round and and uh, all of a sudden you start to stumble and you get the double and then you get a bogey and et cetera. Because that's one of the other things I wanted to talk with you about tonight, Doc. It's really about confidence yeah. and that you know that whole piece that uh, your grandfather talked about how golf is played on that five inch space between our ears. Um, you know, we see it, one of the guys, and I'm a huge Jordan Spieth fan. Everyone on the show knows that. Um, and I and I worry about Jordan from a confidence perspective. Uh, and he sort of lost his way for the better part of two seasons now. But w- when that starts to head south, and you, whether you've had a couple of bad holes and you got to try to regroup to save the round, or you've been going badly like Jordan has for the last couple of seasons, how do you get that back? What do you do with your players to try to get them back? I think one of the things that I do is when all of a sudden, if things start moving south, uh, what often happens is that tension starts to enter the golf, enter the golfer, enter the golfer's mind and, and their body. And so what happens is they, they kind of decide, oh, I've got to really bear down and work really hard and get some of these shots back or have a good tournament or this, that, or whatever the, whatever the goal is. Um, one of the things that I work uh, on a lot with, uh, with my, uh, my clients is I always tell them when things go south, that is the time really where you should get even calmer and even more focused. You have plenty of time to panic, throw a club, have a hissy fit, whatever you want to do. You have plenty of time to do that after the round is over or after the tournament is finished. But while you're in the middle of that, when you have something going south, that is the time to actually get calmer, more focused, sticking to the shots that you know you can hit. Um, I, I, I don't mean to, I don't, I don't ever like to use myself as an example. And having said that, I'm going to do exactly that. Um, I was playing a round of golf over at Sage Valley last weekend, and I came into the 18th hole, and I was um, seven over par. And so, you know, for me, uh, and, you know, for a guy that's got an eight, you know, 8.2 index, that's not too shabby. And, you know, I blew my tee shot way to the right, and I thought, oh, gosh, my first instinct was, you know what, I really want to break 80. I've got to do something dramatic here. And then all of a sudden, I backed away and I thought, wait a minute, what in the world am I doing? I just need to hit the shot I can hit here. So I turned to my caddy. I said, what do you think? He said, I'd take, I'd take your five wood and just hit it right over the bunker on the left, and you'll have a nice, easy pitch up to the hole. And so basically, that's what I did. Uh, and then, of course, proceeded to leave a 12-foot putt totally in the throat. Yeah, that's a, but that's another story. But what I was very <laughs> pleased about was that I managed the situation very, very well. I didn't let my expectations outrun my reality. And see, that's what I think can happen quite a bit, whether it's Jordan Spieth with a bad couple of seasons or whether it's me trying to break 80 or whether it's some guy trying to win his club championship, or whatever the task is. 
or whether it's somebody who's just trying to figure out how do I deal with the coronavirus and in, in, in my work. What my job is at that point is just to stay as focused as I can and execute what I know how to execute. And that's really all you can do. Doc, one more on that topic. Um, when I think of when I was watching Jordan this past weekend and he had, you know, he had started off really, really well. And then on Sunday, he had to come from behind and he got himself sort of back into the thick of it on the back nine on Sunday. You know, on 13, he's down by, you know, two shots and then steps up on 14 and hits his driveway right out of bounds. And essentially that, that was all she wrote. Um, yeah. But one of the things that I've heard Michael Breed talk about is, you know, you've got to consider a win even when you don't win. And that is, you know, Jordan maybe looking at it by saying, hey, I was hitting meaningful shots late Sunday <laughs> afternoon in a golf tournament. I haven't done that in a while. So that's a win. The opposite, the, the person that might look at it and say, my glass is half empty as opposed to half full is I had a chance and then I blew it. How do you teach right. you know, folks to focus on the right thing? It's it's like any mental discipline. It's like learning any good habit. You just have to learn how to do it. Now, a couple of things that I do is like I, I try to make sure that people are taking care of themselves physically, cognitively, in other words, how they're thinking, and emotionally. And if they're managing those three things well, then those problems have a way of taking care of themselves. But I want to bring this back, and this is another thing I always like to work with, with, with my clients on. Think of it this way. Um, like this, this thing with, uh, you mentioned Jordan. Yeah, you know, that, that tee shot on 14 could have really done him some damage. But I guarantee you that would have been, let's see, there would have been 15, 16, 17, 18. That would have been after 68, on the 68th or 67th hole. I can guarantee you that there were opportunities that he had that he missed in those first 67 holes. Had he made those opportunities, the blown tee shot wouldn't even have mattered, right? So it's not just right. necessarily that he collapsed or that he played badly. He did okay. He just hit a bad spot. And uh, you're right. He got very deep into Sunday. There was a lot of progress there. And I think it's a good thing. I think it's just a real, it was a good thing. Probably had he had a couple of things go differently earlier in the first, you know, first three and a half rounds, it may not have even been an issue. Bob, questions for Doc? Yeah, sure, Doc. I'll uh, I'll stay on that mental aspect of golf, and I'll, maybe I'll save some of these other questions for the next time we speak. But as far as sure. your training in sports psychology, uh, it must give you a, an incredible uh, view of how your grandfather thought at times. I'm sure you probably we we've read that he had a temper at times, uh, that he was an incredibly good sportsman at times. Um, but I'm sure you, having known what he went through and uh, his victories and uh, other things he went through in his life, uh, tell us a little bit about his overall makeup, I mean, mentally. Was he a very, very intense guy? Was he able to control it most of the time? What made him the, the great player he was? He was extremely intense. Uh, there are basically two types of people. There are, uh, and, and the overwhelming majority of the people are like he was. 
where they tend to run hot in tense situations. So you're really working with them on trying to hold that affect or that emotion or that intensity in check. And that was the hardest thing he had to learn. Uh, and the way he learned it um, was basically by getting a letter after a temper outburst from George Herbert Walker, the then president of the USGA, telling him that unless he learned to control his temper, his applications for USGA championships might not be accepted. And uh, that was a real eye-opener for him. And the way he learned to do it, um, he actually was, again, decades ahead of his time. He started focusing on his breathing. Uh, making sure that he was always taking nice, even, deep breaths. Uh, one of the other things that he did was uh, he actually he was a smoker. And while I would never encourage that, I will say that nicotine does quite a bit in helping you kind of stay calm. That's why people who do smoke, when they get under stress, they smoke more as they're looking for that nicotine. Uh, the third thing that he did was he paid very, very close attention to the small muscles of his face because he found that if he could keep the small muscles of his face quiet, then he could keep the rest of his body quiet very easily. And so what he did was he said that he never wanted anybody to know how he had played on a hole by looking at his facial expression. He wanted a birdie or an eagle to look just the same as a triple bogey. And as long as he could do that, he felt like he was able to keep it right in that nice range where he could function most efficiently. So that that's that's what he did. Fascinating. And obviously, his educational background was so extensive. Uh, is it something that your whole family is like that, Bob? I mean, as far as was that something that he himself stressed over the years, the value of education? I don't ever recall a time in my uh I don't ever recall a time in my life when education wasn't stressed. Uh it was always a very very important thing for us. My father's biggest disappointment was that he never graduated from college because like a lot of those guys who came back from World War II, he wanted just to get right into life. And so he did and that was a real regret that he had. As a result though, when you look at it, I mean um uh, we've ended up in our family, I think, where we probably have more degrees than a thermometer. But uh, that's not particularly great when you consider where they go sometimes. So, you know. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> there goes your audience, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Doc. Hey, no problem. Bob, one more for Doc? Oh, sure. Well, as far as uh, your grandfather, uh, as far as when... I told Chris before we came on, Doc, as far as your grandfather being one of probably the more underrated uh, athletes of the century. I mean, he when you talk 1920 sports, you think of Babe Ruth and Jack Dempsey. I mean, your, your grandfather was right there. There's no question. And you, uh, as far as when you grew up, maybe up to your preteen pre years or whatever, did you have any idea what kind of effect that man had and, and what he had done in the past? I did the first time I went to the Masters, and I saw Augusta National, and I realized that that had existed in my grandfather's mind 
before a spade of dirt had been turned over on the property. That was when it finally hit me. Um, you know, for me, though, in many ways, no, because my grandfather was an invalid for, for all of my life. And um, so to me, Bobby Jones, the golfer, was somehow kind of in my mind, this person who was divorced from the man that I knew. It wasn't until I watched the Warner Brothers videos and I heard my grandfather's voice coming out of the man that uh, I saw on all the portraits in our house that I realized they were the same person. And while I really was very proud of him, um, I was also deeply struck uh, when I heard that by the tragedy of what had happened to him in developing that horrible syringomyelia that he had. Yeah. Doc, just a couple quick quick ones before I let you go. And um, yeah. the Macklemore course is a new sponsor of the show. I believe you had an opportunity to go play it at the grand opening last fall. Wanted to get your reactions of what you saw oh, there. Oh, my gosh. It is just wonderful. What, uh, what Billy and Reese have been able to do with that golf course is so much fun. If I had one complaint, well, I'm going to tell you one interesting thing. They had a really unusual piece of land to work with on one of the par fives, where you have to drive to a hilltop, and then you have this shot down to the green that's probably 100 feet below you. And what they did was they designed this beautiful Redan green complex down there, which basically means you're hitting into a par three. And it was absolutely brilliant, really good. The 18th hole is one of the most dramatic, golf holes I think I've ever seen anywhere, uh, and I mean that anywhere, if I had one complaint about that 18th hole, is it is so magnificent and so beautiful that it almost makes you forget that you've just played 17 other really outstanding golf holes. The people up there wow. were very friendly. The place was great. Uh, and I'll tell you what. If that's my only complaint, isn't that a great complaint to have? <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> yes, sir. That's awesome. It was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Doc, before we let you go, um, you do a lot of great work for, for some local charities, and you're involved in a lot of great yes. things. Remind our listeners about that and also how they can <clears throat> keep up with you, because I see you're on Twitter now. I am on Twitter, yes. I am finally learning how to tweet. Um, that you can you can always keep up with Bobby Jones CSF BobbyJonesCSF.org. That's the charity uh, that supports the the search for the cure for the disease that killed my grandfather. The other one, of course, is always interesting is the Bobby Jones Golf Course here in Atlanta. So that's uh, that's one that's really good too. And also, I can't help but put in a plug for my dear friend, and I know you know him, Scott Lehman, within his Grip Ministries. That's a great yes. ministry that reaches out with the gospel for men and uses golf to do it, which is great because, you know, people have been invoking God's name on the golf course for centuries. So that's a good thing. <laughs> and then if people need to reach me, they can reach me at the Behavioral Institute of Atlanta. And that's at BIA, that's Bravo India Alpha, BIA number one dot com. And you can find my little page right in there. Doc, it's always a privilege to get to spend some time with you. We can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule to come back. 
You're a treat and uh, already looking forward to next time. Pleasure to meet Anytime. you. Anytime. I can't believe this was number seven. Can't believe That's it. right. Seven times. Lucky seven. All right. Yes, sir. Doc, take care. All the best to you and your family. We'll catch up again soon. Hey, well, same to you. Thanks, Bob. Take care. Thanks, Doc. That's a great Bobby Jones, the fourth, Dr. Bobby Jones, the fourth. And uh, like Bob, like I said, at the top of the show and in his introduction, uh, a finer man you won't find. And um, every time you get to spend, you know, and I've been privileged like seven times now uh, to spend some time with Doc plus an eight time at, uh, at the tour championship. I got to meet him in person uh, this past year at the tour championship. But um, there's something there's something very spiritual, something very calming and just something very special about that time that you get to spend with Doc. And it's always uh, been very meaningful for me. Um, and um, I think it comes across to our audience because I hear a lot of really positive feedback every time Doc is on the show. And I hope a little bit of that came across as uh, you got a little bit of time and hopefully we get to get you more time with Doc, you know, here again soon. Yeah, he, uh, he's definitely in the, the right business, Chris. Just the calming nature of his voice and uh, that kind of education behind him. The whole, the whole family is, is incredibly gifted. So uh, that was a special guy. Yeah, I'd love to speak with him again. All right, before we get to our next guest, Nathan Grube, I want to give a shout-out to our friends over at the Ben Hogan Golf Company. When Ben Hogan founded his company in 1953, his mission was to make the finest golf equipment in the world. And that remains their mission to this day. They forge every club they make to provide the feel and feedback investment clubs simply can't provide. And their craftsmen micromanufacture each club to your exacting specifications in their Fort Worth, Texas factory. You're only going to find Ben Hogan Golf Equipment at BenHoganGolf.com. Visit them online today to learn about their great products and their great prices. And this segment of the show was sponsored by our friends over at the PGA Tour Superstore. This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at PGATourSuperstore.com. Now back to Chris and more of the show. All right, now back with us here on Next on the Tee is Nathan Groob. Nathan is the tournament director for the Travelers Championship coming up next week. Let me remind you a little bit about Nathan's background. He graduated from Auburn University with a degree in mass communications. Following college, he became a wonderful PGA teaching professional. He was an instructor at the Robert Trent Jones Golf Trail Academy from 1996 to 1999. He then became the tournament director at the Southern Farm Bureau Classic and the executive director of the First Tee of Greater Birmingham. In March of 2005, he became a, the tournament director at the Travelers Championship at TPC River Highlands up in Cromwell, Connecticut. And that event every year is one of the premier events out on the PGA Tour. And we're very excited to have Nathan back with us again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Nathan, Chris, and Bob, thanks for coming back on the show. All right, now back with us here on Next on the Tee is Nathan Groove. Nathan is the tournament director for the Travelers Championship coming up next week. Let me remind you a little bit more about his background. He graduated from Auburn University with his degree in mass communications. Following college, he became a wonderful PGA teaching professional. He was an instructor at the Robert Trent Jones Golf Trail Academy from 1996 to 1999. Then came the, uh, became the tournament director at the Southern Farm Bureau Classic and the executive director for the first year of Greater Birmingham. In March of 2005, he became the tournament director for the Travelers Championship, which is at TPC River Highlands up there in Cromwell, Connecticut. 
Some of the highlights from that tournament include Bubba Watson's three wins while he was there. And while he's been playing, 2017, Jordan Spieth pitching from the bunker and sudden death to uh, defeat this past weekend's winner, Daniel Berger. Y'all remember that with a nice fist or the nice chest bump he did with Michael Greller last year. Tez Revy you know, beat out Zach, uh, Zach Sucker, uh, who's a, uh, a wonderful friend of the show. And also Keegan Bradley was four strokes behind as well. It's one of the premier events on the PGA Tour, and we're very excited that Nathan is back with us again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Nathan, Chris and Bob, thanks for coming back on the show. Hey, Nathan. Guys, always a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. So, Nathan, it's it's been a crazy year, 2020 and COVID-19 and everything that's been going on. I, I see that, you know, probably no fans at the tournament this year. Bob and I were talking about that at the top of the show. And you guys do such a wonderful job with that golf tournament. Um, gotta be odd now, now that, uh, you might be looking at no fans. What's, uh, what's the status of the tournament? So the, the status is, I mean, it's next week, which is, which is crazy and surreal. And I mean, we were down there this morning on the property, the walking around and, and usually there's so much construction and so much noise. And, you know, it takes us probably three months typically to build everything out. And it's just, quiet and so there's this there's this eerie anticipation mixed with we've never seen advance week look like this before so um yeah no it's been a pretty crazy couple months um you know i mean obviously the grand scheme of things uh you know it's uh, there's there's a lot of you know other crazier things happening to different people in their lives and with, I mean, with the sickness and with everything going on but i mean in our little world it's uh, something we've never done before you know i mean starting mid-april trying to plan what the Travelers Championship would look like in this environment. It's, um, it's been a first. I, I would say we typically pride ourselves on having every contingency plan thought of, I mean, that you can possibly imagine. And we did not have this one planned for. I'm, I'm not going to lie to you on that. And Nathan, I mean, one of the, one of the great attractions to the golf tournament for the players is all the other things that you guys do for them and the, and the way that you really, you know, you treat them very special. Um, probably better than just about any tournament out on, out on tour. And now with all of this that, uh, that's going on, how is that going to impact, you know, what, what the player experience is going to be? How is that going to impact, um, the great work you guys do for charity and the amount of money that you raise for local charity is off the chart. Talk about the impact that it's going to have in those areas. Sure. Uh, I will say this. We've been very lucky over the years with when travelers came in as title. Uh, in 06, um, they kind of, I would say, set a, I would say the expectation of the event of, of us anticipating everybody's needs, trying to be, you know, overly hospitable, really trying to, you know, do everything we could for the players, their families, the media, the kids, you know, the girlfriends, the wife, like everybody, the trainers, you know, we really prided ourselves on taking care of everyone and really trying to think through, you know, which players, kids liked what type of waffles the next year that they came. And, you know, uh, just, I mean, every single detail. And what's been weird this year is we've kind of had to to change our, our hospitality mentality and turn, like, we've traded the word hospitality for safety this year. And every place that, you know, we used to think, hey, how can we be more hospitable? How can we go above and beyond? I mean, this year it's been, how can we be safer? How can we be safer? How can we look back at the tournament, you know, two weeks after we play it and say, you know what, we're proud of what we did. We provided a safe environment for the players, their caddies, 
you know, the, the few media that are going to be on property, um, the staff, the volunteers, like we did this and we did this the right way. And so, I mean, that's, that's our goal. That's been hard for us though, to, to kind of change hospitality for safety because sometimes safety isn't as fun, you know, I mean, you, you, you want to, you know, you want to do cool stuff and you want to leave gifts in their room and you want to do X, Y, and Z, but it's just, it's not, it's not the right move this year. And I would say people have responded. Um, I mean, the players get it. The players understand, you know, that, Hey, to get back to competition, to, to be part of, you know, one of the first sports back and actually be able to compete and just, I mean, how golf lends itself to, to being able to be played in this socially distanced environment. I mean, I think they're taking it very seriously and they know that they have to do this and they have to do this right. And so they are very understanding. We talked to, um, to Michael Toth and the team down at Charles Schwab at the Colonial and they said the players were great. You know, they totally understood the, the little inconveniences, you know, the, the distancing, the mask, the, how food was being served differently, how carts were being cleaned differently, how clubs were being taken care of differently. You know, there's, there's all these layers of things, but, uh, but they said they were very, uh, understanding. They just want to get back and play and they want to do whatever, whatever it takes to get back. Bob, questions for Nathan? Well, Nathan, we can't thank you enough for coming on these shows year after year, especially this year under some unprecedented circumstances. You know, it's a very happy and sad time for a lot of us. For me personally, it's just happy to speak with you, knowing there will be a tournament, and very sad that this will be the first time in 20 years that I haven't been able to really experience the greatness of that tournament mm-hmm. and covering it in person. Yeah. Uh, Tracy Veal from the PGA Tour has been terrific uh, as far as staying in touch and, and yeah. I, I won't say apologizing about things, but giving us the, the, the deal. And we all understand that. But uh, and and also, it's going to be a sad that I won't be able to see your dad, who, who volunteers <laughs> dearly and is such a great guy. Please, please send him my regards, Nathan. That, that's one of the things I'm going to miss most. So. Uh, I will. I will. He's 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 great. I tell you what. He's he's gonna. He, he has a career of being a bus driver someday. He can. He's amazing. He's a, he's a good man. I'm sorry, but yeah, no, I will tell him he said hello. Oh, please do. And and as far as quote unquote coverage from afar for the majority of us folks, Nathan, tell us some of the avenues you've had to explore as far as keeping uh, this as live as possible for basically media members. Sure. So uh, to your point, the tour has, uh, you know, kind of come alongside us with this and said, okay, what, you know, there's a limited number of media. I mean, we, I mean, we credential typically up to 500 media, I think, uh, in, a, in an average year. And this year we're credentialing, I think, 28 at the most. And that's, I mean, the PGA Tour people and PGATour.com and the international media. I mean, it is such a small, small number of people that are going to be on property. And so the tour said, okay, how are we going to you know, still make content available? How are we still going to, to do this in a way that we've never done this before? And so they're building out this virtual media center where they're putting up all the interviews, they're putting up images, um, they're trying to get as much content as they can up there for people covering. I mean, I mean, the tournament can only be so much without the media. I mean, uh, I'm going to substitute the word media for storytellers. I mean, that's what the media is. I mean, they, they, they look at things and everybody has different gifts and talents and how they write and how they talk about stuff. And, and for the media to bring everything to life is, is a necessary part of professional golf. And so, and the tour knows that. And so to, to give the media in a situation where we can't have everybody together, how do they get you the tools that you need to tell the stories that only you can tell? And so, 
how they're building out that that virtual media center. They're trying to give um, trying to give everybody you know the the right tools that they need to do their job. So they've been great. They've been working with us. They asked us after um, the tournament last week. They said, "Hey, what can we do better? You know, for RBC. You know, how can we change the uh, the virtual media center?" So. Um, they're, they're working with us on it and, uh, they're working with you on it. But to the point, I mean, it's, it's one of these situations where I think a lot of people, to your point, they understand it's like, okay, we, these, especially these first four events without fans, it, it's like, okay, we're, we're lucky to be doing this and everybody's working really, really hard to get to this version of a professional tour event. And so I think everybody feels fortunate to be here and they know that it's not what it was and they know that it's not, you know, the normal, but. I think everybody feels very fortunate to uh, to be to be here. And Nathan, you having done this for 15 years now, I know firsthand how closely you have to work with uh, all the travelers, people, and organizers, and and the people that are still involved in it this year. Uh, how difficult has that been in in this new era of social distancing, staying home, et cetera? It, 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 I know it's a, it's this very strange thing, but you still guys still have to work. So, I was telling somebody this the other day. We were talking about it. I am a I'm a huge fan of a whiteboard. Like when I see a big whiteboard with dry erase markers, like I get so excited, like I'm a kid again. Like I, I absolutely love you know like drawing out, like diagramming, like what about this? What about this? Like it is my dream to have my office with four massive whiteboards on each wall. And, you know, and my team knows that I'm always like, you know, what? let's take it to the whiteboard, let's take it to the whiteboard. And so what's been crazy is typically it takes us probably 14, 15 months to plan a normal tour event. Okay. It's like, we'll start two to three months prior to that year's tournament. Like there's certain things you just, you can't do anymore that year. So you start working on the next year before you're even into uh, this tournament year. So it's usually about 14, I would say 14, 15 months. Well, what's crazy is we had planned so much of this year's tournament. And then in April, all of a sudden, you know, we hit the brakes, everybody stops. All of a sudden you're creating this totally new version of the Travelers Championship. And you're going to do it in 90 to 100 days. And we're all virtual and I don't have my whiteboard. And I'm just telling you, it was like, you remember those scenes in the penis and Linus, like he had his blanket taken away and how distraught he was like yeah. me without my whiteboard, me without my whiteboard trying to plan this. Like that's, that's how I felt, you know, like I'm okay for a minute. I'm pretending that I'm going to be okay. And I'm giving myself pep talks, but I mean, the team, the team has been great. I mean, I, I feel so lucky to have, I think one of the best teams on tour when it comes to just people who love this event, they're committed. Um, they're incredibly smart. They're very disciplined and, they are committed to, to doing this the right way. And so they've been very patient with me as I try to use my virtual whiteboards. And they're like, yeah, that's not going to work. So let's find another way to, to try to figure out what the heck you're talking about. <laughs> so, um, but doing it virtually has been something different in 90 days. So we're doing it without our whiteboards. We're doing it within 90 days. And everybody just rolled up their sleeves. And we, we probably had five versions of the Travelers Championship starting in, in April. It was, you know, initially it was okay a reduced build, right? Maybe we can't build our two largest hospitality venues on property. And we ran all the metrics out on that and how we're going to plan and where you're going to put people and how you're going to deal with sponsors on changing up their ticket packages. And you go through all those speaking points and, and then you realize, oh gosh, okay, now we actually can't build corporate row. So those tents, you know, you just, you, you start seeing these timelines fall. And then it was, we can't build corporate row. And then it's, okay, 
let's reach out to those partners and figure out where we're going to change their inventory and you know what are we going to do there and these people are in multi-year agreements and how do you how do you migrate that and then it was okay we can't build any skyboxes like we can't get the steel here we couldn't get the the permits there was no construction you know there was we couldn't actually build it and it was like okay it's just fans it's going to be like you know augusta there's just going to be people and bleachers and that's going to be it and you plan all that out and you're talking to your sponsors you know for the fourth time and then it's okay wait a minute we're going to have limited fans and then we're going to have no pro-ams and you just kind of see these dominoes fall as just things unfold and every version of that version of the travelers championship had a different outcome had different implications and and then we finally got to the point of going okay we're going to have no fans no pro-ams no infrastructure, no hospitality, no sales, no, to your point, no special events, no women's day, no military appreciation, no concerts, no baby showers, no, uh, you know, uh, I mean, just nothing. I mean, we had, I think, gotten up to probably 55, 60 special events that we were doing during the week and it was all gone. And then we were sitting there looking at ourselves going, all right, how are we going to raise money for charity? You know, like how are charities going to benefit when, you know, we give net proceeds to charity, if there's no net, how do we do this? And so we started having very open and honest conversations with our sponsors, our big sponsors, you know, six, seven figure sponsors saying, okay, we don't have any inventory for you this year. No hospitality, no tickets, you know, no nothing. What, what would you like to do? And just having a very transparent, honest conversation and, you know, telling our sponsors, look, if you want to make a donation to the tournament charities, we'll take it. If you want to roll your investment to next year, we can. If you want to refund, you know, what do you want to do? And we have been overwhelmed by how many partners have said, here, take our check. Have it go to the tournament charities. We understand the bigger picture. We understand what the PGA Tour is about. We understand what the tournament's about. You've been telling us the story about your charities you 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 have made the connection between what the tournament is and who it benefits. Here you go. And we have had, I mean, we're going to have a significant donation to charity this year because partners literally are just cutting us a check saying, we know what the tournament's about. We want you to continue to benefit the you know 150 charities that you've supported over the years. So um, it's been extremely cool to be a part of it, to to see this community and 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 how the companies and the volunteers, even volunteers, typically we have about 4,000 volunteers. And this year we're going to have, gosh, maybe 200, 250. But a lot of those volunteers had already paid for their volunteer package and done everything. There's volunteers donating their volunteer package money back to charity saying, hey, look, I get it. We're not volunteering this year. Here's my here's my package price. And I'm just going to you know donate it back to the tournament charity. So when you see that happening round and you kind of see people that, that understand what you're about as, as a PGA tour event, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty cool to see everything come full circle and see that happen. And Nathan, finally, you're well familiar with the weather here in New England. It's been another one of the years where we really didn't have a springtime. We just go from winter right into summer. And uh, as you know, but I just wondering, you said you walked the grounds and uh, maybe there hasn't been as many people playing on it this year. How is the course? And you must always be indebted to the people who are in charge of manicuring the uh, beautiful landscape there. So uh, you, you are so right. So not only the team there at TPC River Highlands that 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 takes care of that every day. I mean, it's a living, breathing uh, you know, it's alive. I mean, you have to take care of it every single day to get where it is. And then, I mean, go back to the designers, go back to 
you know, Malpe and Tweed and, 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 and die. And you go back to the people who for decades have kind of shaped this and built this and created this atmosphere and created this golf course that really, I mean, can stand on its own. I mean, that, that favors no one player, you know, I mean, I, I always joke about this, the year the Bubba won uh, his first time here in 2010, people forget he was in a playoff with Corey Pavin that year uh, when he won. And literally standing on the tee, you had the tour's shortest hitter and the tour's longest hitter, who after four days sat at, I think it was 14 under or whatever it was. And and when you have a golf course that can that can do that and bring out both those types of games, uh, it, it's we're so lucky to have it. And we're so lucky to have it here and and I remember Rory after the first time he played here and I think 17 was the first year he played here. And he, he got off and he went, I love that golf course. And I, I kind of took it as like, okay, he's just being nice. You know, but that was in June. And then like in September, I heard him on an interview and they said, Rory, what are some of your favorite courses around the world? And he lists off a couple and he said, you know, which one I really enjoyed this year. And I did not see this coming. He said, I love TPC River Highlands at Travelers. And then he went on to explain why. And I was just sitting there going, man, we are so lucky to to have a course that the players love. And I think this year with, without the grandstands, you know, I think players will be uh, be able to to be reminded of that and, and to see that. So, I mean, it's going to be it's so different without the fans. But I think the course will stand up on its own and uh, and, and put on good show. Nathan, just a couple more before we let you go. And you mentioned Bubba Watson. And uh, he's had a great deal of success there. Won three times this past weekend. He ended up finishing tied for seventh at the Charles Schwab Challenge. I got to imagine he's got to be the odds-on favorite. No coming in? So I would say, so our field this year is, I mean, obviously I think with the, with the restart and the schedule, I mean, right now we have, I think, seven or eight of the top ten. Right now we have, uh, you know, the top seven guys in the world coming. I mean, guys that like the golf course too. But Bubba? For some reason, this this just sets up, and and he he has a chance this year to tie the record and be a four time champion um, of the event. And he he probably could have won this already five or six times just because he's always in contention there. And and he'll tell you for some reason it just kind of sets up, and he, he it, the eye I mean his eye it just it just fits the shape of his eye, and he can kind of imagine his way around the golf course. But I think between here and Riviera and Augusta, I think that accounts for like 95% of his wins. You know, so there's some courses that he just, <laughs> that he just loves. But, um, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I look at I look at Bubba. I look at, uh, you know, uh, I mean, like I, I look at how Jason Day likes the golf course. I look at how Justin Thomas likes the golf course. Um, I mean, Bryson talks about it. Uh, I mean, I don't know. Like, I, I mean, if you were to say who's, it, I mean, uh, Patrick Cantlay, I mean, he's got incredible memories here, you know, shooting 60 as an amateur, as a freshman at college. Um, I don't know, but I mean, it, it's hard to stay away from Bubba. I mean, but it's, uh, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens next week, for sure. Nathan, before we let you go, remind our listeners how they can stay up to date with everything going on with the tournament, not only next week, but uh, as Bob says, already looking forward to the 2021 event. Sure. Uh, well, I would say, I mean, travelerschampionship.com is a place you can go and get all information on our charities, on broadcast times, uh, and all kinds of stuff. And then we're on the Golf Channel uh, Thursday, Friday, and then CBS Saturday, Sunday. So, I mean, really, I mean, you can get all that information on the website. But, I mean, it's it's going to be fun. It's going to be a good show uh, on TV, on radio. And um, I think uh, I think it'll be something that, that at the end of all this, I think we'll be proud of it. 
Well, Nathan, we can't thank you enough, like Bob said a little bit ago, for coming back on the show again this year. And this is, I believe, the third year in a row we've had the uh, privilege of spending some time with you and talking about the tournament. We hope, hope you'll come back again soon and share more of the information and let us know how everything turned out uh, with the tournament this year. Always, guys. Thank you very much for the invitation. We hope to see you in Stay person in soon. Take care, Nathan. Thanks, guys. See you, Nathan. Bye. That is Nathan Groove, Tournament Director of the Travelers Championship. Bob, I can't thank you enough for, for continuing to bring Nathan back and be a part of the show. It's always a, a great time getting to spend some time with him and, and learning about all the great things that the tournament does, not just from a, a golf fan perspective, but what it does for, for the city, what it does for the local charities, because it's a, it's a fantastic event. Yeah, he, uh, this year, Chris, again, uh, with the pandemic in effect and everything, he gave us a real good insight into how this is a totally almost different job for him this year and doesn't sound any worse for wear from it. So, uh, but that's, uh, an experienced tournament director talking there. And again, they do as good a job as anyone on the tour. And, uh, it does not surprise me how they've been able to adjust to these uncertain times, but uh, we'll be watching it from afar. And again, uh, I'm already looking forward to a year from now. We'll talk to him again on this show. <laughs> Absolutely looking forward to it. All right, before we get to our next guest, Megan Youngman, I want to give another shout out to our new sponsors over at the McLemore. The McLemore Mountaintop community rests atop the highlands of Lookout Mountain, Georgia, overlooking historic McLemore Cove and Pigeon Mountain. Surrounded on all sides by state and national parks, historic land districts, and private land trusts. The resort features an 18-hole Reese Jones and Bill Bergen championship course, a gated residential community, and a planned clubhouse opening in the fall of 2020, plus planned hotel and conference center. The dramatic 18-hole course is made up of a variety of golf experiences, combining canyon holes, highland holes, cliff edge holes that are well-suited for the beginning golfer as well as the senior player. McLemore also offers a wonderful six-hole short course called the Karen, Designed by Bill Bergen, the Cairn provides players with a short warm-up or cool-down before or after a round, or a relaxing way to improve one's game with family and friends. McLemore is located a short driving distance from Atlanta, Nashville, Knoxville, Birmingham, and Huntsville, and just 35 minutes from downtown Chattanooga, voted number one best town in America two years in a row by Outside Magazine. While a private course, McLemore offers stay-and-play packages for guests in club-managed properties, as well as a number of membership opportunities, including social memberships, non-resident memberships, and corporate memberships as well. For more information, please visit McLemore online at themclemore.com or give them a call at 800-329-8154. All right, now joining us here on Next on the T is LPGA Class A teaching professional Megan Yunkman. Let me give you a little background on Megan. She captained her high school team to back-to-back state championships, she played her college golf at Ohio State and the University of Toledo, where she lettered in 1996. She became an LPGA Class A teaching professional back in 2001. In September of 2011, Megan was appointed the head coach for the state of Florida in the PGA Junior League Golf World Series, held here in Atlanta, just uh, down the street at TPC Sugarloaf in Duluth. She is recognized as a U.S. Kids Top 50 instructor. She spent nine years at River Hills Country Club just outside of Tampa, Florida as a director of instruction there. Moved over to Temple Terrace Golf and Country Club as their director of instruction for eight plus years. She is now the director of instruction at the Golf Channel Academy led by Kelly Brook at Beth Page State Park in New York. And we're very honored to have her with us tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Megan, thanks for coming on the show. Hi, Megan. 
Hey guys. So great to be here. Thanks for having me on. Gosh, you read all that. I'm like, who are you talking about? (laughs) Time has flown. (laughs) And I'll tell you, Megan, one of the myriad of impressive things about you, as I was doing the research on you, I learned that you started playing the game at age 14. And like I mentioned in your intro, you captained your high school team to -to back-to-back state championships. So you go from picking up a club at 14 to what, 16, 17, leading your team to -to back-to-back state championships? I mean, for most of us, it takes us 10 years to go from lousy to bad at the game. How were you able to pick it up and be so good so quickly? Well, I I really thank all my previous sport history at the time to teach me how to hustle because that's exactly what I had to do once I found golf. I got to tell you, you're right about the 10 years. If I would have had that prior, like the kids do now, I, I definitely... I don't know where I would be, you know, at that time and place playing and, and, you know, for college golf and, and having a great junior career, but hustling was the key. I was a previous athlete, you know, coming, coming into 14 years old. I was actually my entire life with softball. We, we did travel ball since I was about six or seven years old. And so by the time I was a freshman in high school, I knew what work ethic was and so forth, but then I was introduced to golf my sophomore year of high school, and it was extremely difficult. I guess we can all we can all think about that as a new golfer, right? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, when I when I think back in it, and I look at that journey, it was definitely a journey. I mean, I was being scouted already as a freshman in high school, catching for varsity pitchers, and and I was I was quite an athlete, you know, with softball and, and ready to go, you know, and thinking about my entire future with softball. But then, then my father introduced me to golf. I finally, let's just say, I finally said, yes, I'll go with you. And um, I went with him on vacation and I couldn't hit the ball and I had been hitting balls, you know, softballs, but I've been doing this since I was a child and it never frustrated me. It just made me extremely curious. You know, and I think even at that age, you, you can have a curiosity and a self-awareness that that uh, for some athletes, it becomes an addiction then to get better and to be able to do it. So surprisingly, I ended up joining the golf team that that year in high school. And I'm going to I'm going to put all my cards out on the table. My scoring average my sophomore year of high school was a 97 for nine holes. I mean, I made, you know, we, they list y'all in the paper, right? So they're listing me in the paper that, you know, at least my name is in there under my high school team and I'm the worst one on the team. And I remember after the season, my father asked me at the dinner table, that's back when everybody had dinner every night together. And he asked me at the dinner table, you know, what'd you think of your season? You know, I I thought it was great. I was having fun. Um, And he said, well, what do you want to do? Do you want to play again? And I said, well, yeah, yeah. Well, what do you want to do with this? And, you know, as thinking about my future, I always knew it would be in sports. But this intrigued me enough that I, you know, this astonishes me to this day that I told him right then and there. I said, well, I want to do it the rest of my life. (laughs) And, you know, yeah, he knew what I was shooting. You know, he he was never a, a great golfer himself, but we belonged to a country club, thankfully. Um, but I said that to him and I'll never forget it because I didn't even know what that meant. 
But, you know, he's he's sitting there. He says, well, okay. He's very supportive. He says, well, do you know what those girls do? And I said, what girls? He says, the girls on TV. And I said, well, no. And he said, well, they, they hit 500 balls a day, I'm sure. And I said, well, okay. You know, I'm not scared of work ethic, right? I've been doing work. I've had work ethic my entire career thus far. And he said, well, we're going to have to get you a pro. And I said, what's that? And he said, well, it's a, it's a teacher. You got to have, you got to have help. And I said, okay. He said, it's like a coach. And okay. And he says, and, and you're going to have to go to the gym before school and after school every day. You know, in my father's mind, I'm sure a little bit of him was thinking, you've worked your entire career for softball and it's pretty much a bag. You're going to go on a scholarship. And now I changed my mind. So it's not uh, very advantageous to hear that from your 14 year old that you know, that doesn't play a sport very well, that they want to play it, you know, and do it for the rest of their life. So inevitably, uh, we, I just went with it. And I, I remember walking into my coach's offices for both basketball and softball and telling them that I was quitting for golf. <laughs> Mind you, they've seen my scores in the paper. They tried to talk me out of it. I couldn't, I, I couldn't have been moved. So I just, I wasn't scared of hard work. I practiced every day and we found a lighted driving range. I just, you know, I was fine being alone, practicing. My friends always knew the athlete in me. So I still kept my social, you know, relationships a little bit. And I just had the drive. I just wanted to go to college and play golf and then do it after that in whatever capacity that was going to be. So the, you know, junior year, I'm scoring 45 stroke average, but that's down from 97. And then uh, senior year, I'm down to scratch play. I mean, I was breaking par on most rounds. Ohio State was looking at me and uh, last minute, of course. So obviously, um, you know, that that was all last minute for, for a big university like that. But we decided that that was the best choice. And so I ended up playing there. So really, it was a lot of hustle, a lot of hard work. But it just shows that, you know, if if you got your mind on something, you can do it. So that's that's to that end, Megan, (laughs) I'm I'm fascinated by that in in that I I imagine, you know, as a, a young lady who did travel softball since the age of six, you were pretty darn good. As an athlete, yeah. I imagine you on yeah. the basketball court, you were pretty darn good. Yeah. 97 would seem like a scorer for nine holes that would frustrate a great athlete. And then that great athlete decides, I'm going to walk away from these other two sports that I'm way better at to do this one. Why? You know, there was an elation when I hit the ball the way it felt good. And then there was horrible emotional torment as an athlete when I didn't hit it very well. But I felt all those emotions alone and I owned both of them. And that was something in team sports, you know, you had a team, you had other people around all the time. And I I value those experiences. I think all kids should play team sports as well. But when I was introduced to this game, and I was doing a sport for the first time in my life that was a single person sport, you know, kind of like tennis is and so forth. I had never felt what I felt before. And it was exhilarating. And when I did well, it was exhilarating. And that brought me back. And, you know, they, 
they they all say, you know, I've been a teacher now for for oh, ever for 20 some years. But, you know, I can share that elation with my students when they hit it. I can feel it for them with them, you know, um, that feeling of owning it and doing well and progress, you know, progressing because they're they're practicing and things like that. So I that it was invaluable. So that's that was an easy decision for me. I honestly, I think I was on an autopilot. It must have been some kind of destiny. As some, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm big on concrete and tangible things, but that was a very important and pivotal part of, of what was to shape uh, the future of my career and being a teacher. You know, I think that all of that was, um, was, was predominantly, uh, definitely seeing in the future. So. Megan, um, being uh, in the Toledo area and playing at the University of Toledo, um, I know now that uh, that Inverness is the home course for the for the men's and, and women's golf teams there at the University of Toledo. It wasn't necessarily back when you played, but I was curious if you ever got an opportunity to go out and play Inverness, which is one of the most historic places in the country. Isn't it really? You know, quite funny back then when, you know, per this conversation we just had about playing in high school play, my head coach for my girls golf team was a two handicap uh, female champion at at Inverness. So we got out on her course all the time. <laughs> and my, wow, my home for course for my, yeah, we played better courses in high school than I ever played. Uh, not ever played in college, but that I was exposed to for our college practice courses. We didn't have Inverness when I was the rocket. But uh, yeah, we we were very thankful to be playing that. And then also the the Marathon Classic that is now was the Jamie Park Classic at Highland Meadows for the LPGA. And that was my home course. So when that we belonged to Highland Meadows. So when the LPGA came through and I saw those girls, you know, those ladies play, it was like, a no, that's all I wanted to do. So. Yeah, Inverness is just fantastic. I mean, you know, the Solheim Cup's coming up there next year. Right. Or, I mean, ecstatic about it. They played the PGA Championship there as well. It's such a historical facility. You know, Toledo is surprisingly has amazing courses with a lot of national exposure. Bob, questions for Megan? Yeah, Megan, it's a pleasure to speak with you. And back to your teaching uh, for a minute. I mean, I... I read on your website that you've given over 28,000 lessons. Now, I can't even fathom <laughs> reading that many pages of books in my life. And uh, that, I just right. was wondering, when did you think you can teach golf? When did you develop an obvious appreciation and liking of teaching the sport? Yeah, I think that was a pivotal moment as well. Um, in a nutshell, I was like every teenager. I was practicing all the time. I was in school. I still had to have a job and I worked at a at a local driving range um, that had teaching professionals there and I was working behind the counter picking balls you know and it's it's fascinating that now that was the start of my career because I think I've held every job in the industry all the way up through a general manager head golf professional to this date but um, when I was there working as a as a girl um, somebody didn't show up uh, one of the teachers. So the other teacher said, we're going to need help with this clinic and this class. Can you just come out and 
and um, kind of watch the group for safety, you know, and, but I don't want you to teach. You're not allowed to talk to them. Just, just make sure that they're safe. While I'm at the end of the driving range, you stay here. And when I move to your side, you go to the other end of the range to make sure that everybody's safe. It was a newer golfer class. Well, anyway, long story short, I was down at my end, making sure everybody was safe. And of course the, 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 new golfer in front of me turns to me and said, why isn't it going up in the air? Oh boy. Now I didn't know how to teach <laughs> and I surely didn't know how to fix it, but I looked over to the instructor and they were extremely distracted. <laughs> I jumped in, I ran, you know, ran up to the student and I fixed their hands on the club and I came back and I said, go ahead and hit it. <laughs> they hit it and they hit it up in the air. I mean, it, that was my moment. They hit it in the air. And I, I remember they looked back at me and they just had this ventilation, right? That we talked about before. And I felt it too. And I felt it like back when I was training. And I knew that those, those feelings were the same. And I thought, my gosh, cause I was really in a pivotal place. I didn't know whether to tour, you know, whether I was going to teach for a living. I had no idea what I was going to do. All I knew is, all I know is about golf <laughs> and I love it. So I didn't know where my career was going at the time, but that, that moment, that was the key moment. So that, that, that made all my decisions to start in the teaching um, and well, club professional program with the LPGA. And Megan, you've been the director of golf at your Florida golf school and, of course, instructing and, and doing other things. Is it, is it incredibly tough balancing both the business end and the instructional part of the job, giving them both the attention they deserve? You know, that's a really good question. I have always been more business-minded person, um, even when I didn't know what to do. I always found a solution, did a lot of research on my own. Um, you know, in school, I was in business school. It was always, I was always surrounded by business. I was engaged, always um, talking to my parents about, you know, what they were doing in my dad's career. He'd always come home from work late and then he'd sit and I'd listen to him. I was always that kid and I was always that young adult who I had a goal of having a one golf school by the time I was 35 and I had seven by the time I was 28 years old. It was, wow. um, now that all fell into place, of course, and it all happened very fast. But when you're afforded an opportunity, whether you're ready or not, sometimes you just, well, you never say no, right? <laughs> if it's part of your goal. So that all happened really fast. And I was able to put a, a really nice program together. So it, it really showed me that you know, I was, I was doing some of the right things. And of course, nobody does anything alone. I mean, I've, I've really had some great people around me and I've always surrounded myself with, with staff, um, you know, and, and friends and colleagues, everybody who's, who, who supports, you know, not only the mission, but is also knowledgeable in their own right, uh, that I've learned so much from. So it's always been a team thing for me. Uh, which goes into, you know, running a golf school with other teachers and, and running golf programs. I take that same, that same, um, philosophy into every single thing that I do. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely painted a picture. So. Megan, now you're at another one of the 
historic golf sites in the country at Bethpage. And, um, you know, your school's there, director of instruction there. And you get to go to work every day at Bethpage. What's that like? <laughs> One world. Disney World. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, every season. You know, I, I do go up to, uh, or down now. I go down to Florida for a couple months every winter. Um, and then I come back. And, you know, it's just like this year. Each year when I come back and I'm walking on the historic brick just up to the clubhouse for the first time I always take this huge big deep breath and honestly it, it it's such a happy place everyone's happy around there everybody loves golf they love um the staff is amazing uh they're you know it's very much of a family atmosphere there within the within the staff and the leaders of of the facility um the not only with the golfers being happy but they're they're uber to you know or excuse me eager to learn uh, it's very, very busy and full of energy every day. Um, so not not many days do I come home and, and I'm able to say, today was a great day. I mean, it's, it's so fun to talk about Bethpage. I mean, doesn't even think, <laughs> it, I bet it gets you guys excited just to think about it. You know, Bethpage is, uh, it does. It's, it's definitely got a fire uh, within it. And um, yeah, it's a, it's a great place to be every single day. You know, its history is huge as well. That's right. Not that long ago, PGA Championship was there. Um, I'm curious, what was it like for you during a major championship to be a part of that? You know, I think I, I, I kind of got a different perspective of it, um, obviously, from everything we see on television and being part of a couple big events to come through some of my venues that I've been a part of in the past. Um, there's there's nothing quite like that, though. <laughs> uh, I actually I didn't come back from my from my winter uh, in Florida till uh, June 1st of that year. And uh, so I really can still see the stage that was set at Beth Page. I mean, the PGA Tour, just, just a, a phenomenal job that they do, but they can transform a property. I mean, we have five golf courses, and they even took a couple fairways and asphalted them. Wow. So it was completely concreted all the way down uh, the fairway. Uh, and then all the merchandise tents where they were, because everything was still up when I got back. It was just, you know, very short time after. Um, so being able to see the stage being taken down was a whole different perspective on a tournament. Um, the PGA Tour just does a phenomenal job. You know, they were there on property um, the whole last year or so before um, before the big event. So they just do a phenomenal job. It's The energy is was it was incredible especially obviously golfers are coming that and and getting a chance to play and play black and and be able to walk the same grounds that that their idols and and everybody uh, you know the, the best of the best is played so they like to go hit balls and think you know that they're hitting and practicing you know where the players were and they just it's the excitement was uncanny and and speaking of the black horse, and 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 I, I always uh, sort of think to myself, and I and you know the the sign that's outside of it, you know, is famous now. The black <laughs> horse is extremely difficult course, which we recommend only for the highly skilled golfers, right? And and I just and I sort of picture, you know, sort of weekend hackers like me thinking, you know, ah, I can go play that course, no problem. And then you know, sort of <laughs> coming off the 18th, 
coming off the 18th green, having gotten beaten to a pulp by the course, you know, it was our scorecard filled with sevens, eights, tens, X's, you know, sort of walking off. I just shot 150 on this golf course. What, <laughs> what, what are some of the stories that you've heard about players going out there and then sort of walking off the green? I got to imagine there are a bunch of dejected guys that are half elated for having been able to do it, but then sort of beaten to death by the course. You know, it's funny you say that because the biggest the biggest common uh, response to the golf course is the fatigue level because you got to walk it as well, you know, and it's undulating and it's it's tough because you've taken so many swings and probably swings you didn't know you had, swings you didn't know you had to make, uh, decisions, you know, your mental game is really has to be, uh, you know, you have to be super focused out there. Uh, some players have had never had a caddy before, and now they have one. Some chose to walk, you know, we don't allow carts on black. So some players uh, will just, you know, say, no, nah, I'll walk it. You know, by by 14, they're just, you know, once your body goes downhill, your mental game is shot. <laughs> but really the, you know, the toughest part of um, black, there's two components that, you know, I can reference in, uh, one of them, of course, is the rough, right? The rough, the only way to get out of that is to club up and punch it and just get yourself back in the short grass. There's there's no other way to play it. Um, and the second is that it's a shot-making course. So a lot of players, I would say anyone, like you had mentioned, you're what, around a 12 handicapper? If you right. are 12 on up, you know, you're 15 handicapper. So, you know, you're pretty happy if you're like around 82, 85. That's still, you know, you're still all right. But you, you could have a tendency to, you know, shoot an 89 once in a while. Those players are generally most um, hesitant or, or just really haven't really uh, dug into the fact of, of learning a lot about course management on a course like that, you know. So, that kind of course is a shot-making course. I mean, you you have to pre-plan your shots and place them. And not only is that tough to do anyway, but um, a lot of players will just hit it and go, and you can't do that there. You have to be calculated. You know, your range fi- finder's on overdrive. Um, <laughs> so that <laughs> that those are kind of the two things that, that really create a lot of exhaustion. Um, so that's why we like to take pictures of players next to the sign before they're round. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. So they're still happy and all excited and they don't, you know, look like drowned rats and, and ready for the 19th hole. So, so what's your favorite story? What's this, what's the, whether, whether it's something you heard about a, a legendary you know player or tournament that was played out there or, you know, one of the, one of the average guys like me or gals that, that came out there and played it and and you know barely survived to tell the tale. What what's one of your favorite stories? <laughs> well, actually, I'm gonna a colleague of mine told me a story. You know, I hear a lot of stories from out there, and unfortunately, we had like a dehydration case, which can happen out on a course like that. I mean, any walking course, much less going out on black. So there was a, a golfer that was coming up uh, 18 and, and unfortunately had a dehydration issue. And so we had to get medics to come. And the state has a whole has a whole system for that uh, as the state runs the Bethpage State Park. So we've got the medic out there and 
and everything else out there. And um, I think we got video of a player that was playing behind this guy <laughs> walking through. He just pushing his cart. He's just playing the hole right by him. He just keeps playing through. Cause wow. <laughs> so that's, uh, I, I don't know, that's part a terrible story and part funny because, um, you yeah. know, players sometimes are, are so serious, you know, but this, this guy is just, just walking with his push cart, just playing right through this whole ordeal, you know. <laughs> 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 Who knows? I, you know, what I, my response is the guy was probably having the round of his life and nothing was going to stop him. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. Your health right. issues are the good Lord's not going to ruin my round. Yeah, um, exactly. Megan, so we we always hear a lot about you know about about the black horse. We we don't often hear a whole lot about red, blue, green, and yellow. Talk about those those right. uh, layouts. Well, you know, green course just to give everybody kind of a little uh, this in a nutshell of how it is, how or how it all came about. But the green course was always was the first course and was the only course for some amount of time. And as the state park grew. And um, the park system grew. They they started to build the other courses. So, in order, they're all they're all by color. Um, so they're easy to find. They're eye catching. You know, all the starter shacks uh, have the have a little uh, a little marker on top of each one of them that that have the the color on it. Uh, if you're playing red, all the flags are red out on the greens. Uh, ball washers are red, so forth. If you're playing yellow, the same. Everything's yellow. So it's really easy to navigate out there, which I think they did a fantastic job visually of that for players. Uh, cause we have a lot of out of staters, you know, and people that come to, to play the course. So, you know, in order, I would say that the yellow's, uh, the most player friendly course. Um, well, I would say newer golfer. A lot of seniors like that course. Um, a lot of newer, uh, golfers love that course. It's pretty flat. Um, then we go to the green. Uh, the blue, the blue's tough, and I'll get back to that, but then we go to the red. Uh, the red is probably, it's, it's second to the black, um, you know, in, in difficulty, but it's probably the most fun course for a player. You'd love the red. And then the, the blue course, you know, honestly, it's got the toughest front nine, probably of the whole facility, because it's got the first six holes. Once you get past those, you're okay. But if we're going to have any trouble with pace of play, it's it's on blue because the first six holes are that tough. So players are getting in a lot of trouble with that. Um, but, the you know, the layouts are, are just fantastic. The blue and the red are – well, the red's a little bit flatter than the blue, um, but the blue course is definitely the most undulating course that we have out there. So you're going to – you know, if you're walking that course, you're going to be you're going to be a little bit tired as well. It's beautiful. Bob, one more for Megan. Sure. Uh, Meg, I just wanted to get your um, opinion of women's professional golf right now. Megan, is uh, everything's kind of taken a back seat in the headlines and sports pages, obviously, but uh, maybe you have some insight. Is is it? you think it's at the height of its popularity? Was it stronger in the past? Where do you see it going in the near future? You know, when I think about women's golf, my, my head always goes back to the LPGA tournaments that I was, you know, involved in or, or the, mm-hmm. the playing tournaments that, that, you know, I was able to, to witness and be a part of. The, um, now it's, women's golf in general is so global. 
I mean, the, the, you know, expanding into Asia and so forth has been huge. Um, you know, our commissioner, Mike Wan, has done things for the organization that has never been done before. Uh, we're growing as a teaching organization with more of our hands on the, you know, on the public and, and building girls' golf in general went from 50,000 girls to 150,000 girls for the LPGA USGA girls golf program uh, under Mike Wan. He is uh, great at empowering us. I, I also, thankfully, I can speak of this because I sit on the executive education board for the LPGA. There's about nine of us uh, that that sit there on that board and, and we're, we're in direct contact with headquarters and we basically do, you know, put together the education program for the LPGA teaching and club professionals coming in, you know, to get your class B, class A, and so forth. So when I when I look at what the commissioner has done, not only on the teaching aspect, but, but with the sponsorships, I think our sponsorships are ever growing. There we are, we are sponsored the most than we've ever been. Um, and he thinks outside the box, you know, he's not just seeking out, um, uh, national sponsors and seeking international sponsors and international players and expanding. So I think we're in some of the best shape we've ever been. Megan, before we let you go, let our listeners know, how can they stay up to date with all the great things you're doing and follow you, whether it's on your website or it's on social media? Absolutely. Well, the first place you can go is BestPageGolfCourse. Uh, dot com. You can find us also on Facebook, uh, Megan Youngman LPGA. Uh, we have Golf Channel Academy, kellybrook.com, uh, which highlights our teaching and instructional program there at Best Page. Uh, we also can be found Best Page, Golf Channel Academy, uh, Kelly Brook, and myself can be found on Instagram and Facebook. We'd love to interact, ask a question, uh, let us know that you heard this, and um, and we'd love to get back to you. Well, Megan, so, we can't Chris, thank you enough for taking. Take a lesson? Why do you think take a, a lesson, lesson from coming out to best? Come on out to best page. Uh, <laughs> I tell, tell me, you don't have to ask me twice, Megan. Yeah, the opportunity <laughs> to come out there and play and play, uh, you know, a, a few of those golf courses, I promise you, is high on my bucket list. And 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 <laughs> I'm dumb enough to want to go play the black course. <laughs> What's that? Please, please. We should we should uh, create the best page trail where you play a different color every day. <laughs> Absolutely, I'm all about it. I, and like I said, you know, I'm I'm dumb enough to want to go play the black course. I'm sure I'll shoot 150, but I'll, I'll at least lo love the experience. <laughs> Absolutely. So. Well, love to have you guys out. Thank you, Megan. Take care. All the best to you and your family. Stay safe. Look forward. I hope you'll come back and join us again sometime. Thanks Absolutely. for coming Absolutely. Thanks, guys, for having me on. See you, Megan. That's Megan Youngman, and uh, she's got a wonderful website and uh, you know, very active on Instagram and, and social media. Bob, um, you know, when I when I think about uh, some of the some of the great courses, like I just say, you know, as an opportunity to to go play or add a bucket list, uh, those are certainly on them. And uh, you know, as she says, you know, come take a lesson. I'd love to get on the lesson tee with Megan. And, uh, and I'm sure she could deconstruct my swing and get me to where I need to get because, you know, I, I'm that guy that shoots between 80 and 85 
And I can't, I just can't break that. I can't break that barrier, Bob. I can't break 80. Mm. You know, I've done it a couple of times in my life, but I can't get there consistently. And, and I probably need someone like Megan to get me over the hump. And then, uh, the opportunity, obviously, to be at Beth Page. Those are two things that, uh, you know, how do you, how do you turn down that? Yeah. And, and make sure you talk to Megan before you step onto Beth Page, Chris. I mean, maybe she can. At least get you down a few strokes because that might uh, that might uh, <laughs> kill your mentality for the short this for the short period of time. But uh, yeah, what a great teacher and uh, so involved in so many aspects of the game. But uh, it's really fascinating. Again, yeah, you're right. MeganYoungman.com. Uh, nice stories and it gives you all about private instruction and all that uh, that she's involved with and it does mention Beth Page on there. So. Uh, really fascinating lady, and again, like I said, smart lady. She uh, gets out of here in the Northeast when the weather's bad. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And I tell you, the opportunity, like you know, that she's had uh, going from Inverness to Beth Page. I mean, uh-huh. you know, Inverness is a heck of a golf course, Bob. You know, I mean, when I was sort of looking back at all of the majors that have been played at Inverness, and and the, the people that won there. I mean, you know, Ted Ray winning the U.S. Open there in 1920. And here's the thing for you, Bob. When I was looking at, at down the list, Billy Burke won the 1931 U.S. Open, and Billy Burke isn't a household name. He had a had a good career, you know, in the 20s and, and early 30s. But get this, when he won the 31 U.S. Open at Inverness, it came in a playoff. They did a 36-hole playoff, and they were still tied. And then they had to do another 36-hole playoff, and he won by a stroke on the last hole. Think, think about that. He, he played the 72 holes. And then they had to play another 72 holes before they could decide a winner of that U.S. Open. You want to talk about taking a beating. Oh, my goodness. Wow. I, I can only imagine. Fascinating story. And uh, my goodness. Uh, but it's just it's great that, you know, that's one of those few places in the world. You know, you say Augusta and you say Bethpage Black. Nothing needs else to be said. People know where it is and uh, the story that's behind right. them. And great stuff. Yeah, it was. All right, my friend, it is uh, time for us to put a bow on this episode of Next on the T. We want to send out our sincere thanks to Dr. Bob Jones IV, Nathan, Nathan Grube, and Megan Youngman uh, for joining us. And Bob, my sincere thanks to you, my friend. It's always a, a thrill to get, you, to get to have you here on the golf side. So I, I can't thank you enough for bringing Nathan along and, uh, and for you being here tonight. Always great uh, having you as part of the show. Yeah, whenever we get a chance to work together in the summer, summer, it's not summer yet, but we're getting there, Chris, but it's always uh, a pleasure and just keeps us sharp. And uh, it's just, we had some three terrific guests and uh, my goodness, it's it's great to uh, talk to people with such uh, integrity. And uh, again, thanks for having me here and I know we'll do it again. Yeah, we will. And we'll look forward to uh, getting together on Thursday night tailgate in September as we kick off our ninth season and and bob uh take a look uh, here soon on our on our web page because uh i had an opportunity to uh to interact with jerry remy and jerry remy is uh he put together a nice video uh, as a congratulations for our uh, our ninth year so i'll be uh i'll be uploading that video as well as our good friend don Beebe sending out yeah. uh, a nice video wish as well so uh, I'll be I'll be uploading those soon, so I'll, I'll be interested to get your reaction once you see them. 
Terrific. We have some great friends uh, on that show, as you know, and we interact with them daily. So uh, it's, it's quite That's right. quite the history, too. Yep, indeed. All right, folks. Again, thank you for uh, for listening tonight. Please check out our website, nextonthetea.net, to keep up to date with what our guest schedule looks like. You can stream us on a number number of great podcasting sites, like our friends over on podcast.co. They've been you know, huge, huge for us. I can't thank them enough. We're also on Pod, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, AudioBoomPlayer.fm. You can find this show all over the net. As always, folks, thank you for choosing to keep us a part of your golfing content. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends.